Yeah. You've got oh. a bumblebee visiting your shoulder oh, so right you now. Have. Oh my gosh. It's a little worker. Um, oh, it might. Oh. What would that be? It's very faded. It was very faded. Yeah. It might have been something else. Yeah. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So basically, Tapeport had almost double as many species in the meadows we created through the Fife's Buzzing Project. Oh, wow. So we created four different areas here in uh, the common. Hello, my name is Kashka and welcome to Plant Voices podcast from Tapeport Community Garden, where we tell local stories about gardening, food, nature and climate change. So it's a sunny August morning, and I'm here with uh, Johanna Vili, uh, who is Fife Council's Biodiversity Officer, right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. And we're looking at a small wildflower meadow at the entrance of the Tayport Caravan Park, yeah? Mm-hmm. And we're looking out towards the mouth of the Thames. quite nice and oh, sunny today. A bit windy, so you might hear a bit of um, rustling as that might affect the recording a little bit. So shall we have a closer look at the meadow, maybe? Yeah, and let's have a, do that. See what's there. Yeah. So I have to admit, I was exploring earlier and I was very impressed with the number of different plant species I could identify. It's looking a bit scruffy at the moment, though, because... Yeah, it's August time and things are beginning to die back. So you can see the the knapweed has died back. The flower heads are all brown. There are a few bits of purple left. So knapweed is the one that looks a bit like thistle but it's not a thistle, so it's got a purple that. flower that looks yeah. like a thistle. Yeah, it's basically like a non-spiky thistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's got some uh, flowers left as well. Yeah, it has. What and else there is there? Bumblebees. This is one of my favourites, uh, wild carrot. Oh, right. And it's absolutely, you can see when the flower head's coming out, it forms this wonderful ball, which is so ornamental. And it, the wild carrot has this lovely sort of red spot in the middle, which is a good way of identifying it. And we've got a... I was going to say it's a soldier beetle, but it's not actually. It's a kind of bug, I think. Oh, look at that. There's another one. There's another pollinator there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That is a hoverfly. hoverfly. Yeah. 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 And there's something else sitting there, quite small little fly-like thing. Yeah, let's have it? a look. That is a fly. Yeah, that is a fly. Don't ask me what, but oh, it is a, a fly. Oh, t- even tinier one there. Yeah, yeah. And oh, oh, look, and that's a solitary wasp of some sort. Oh, it's with, tiny, yeah. isn't it? And it's a female because you can see the ovipositor on the end of it. I can't believe how many mm-hmm. bugs are on this. It's that's amazing. True. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six species, you know, in, in August, towards the end of August, on one little wild carrot yeah. flower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the umbellifers are quite good because they're very open and flat. It means that some pollinators, like the flies and the beetles, can easily access the pollen, yep. which in other flowers is harder for them. So you often get wasps and solitary wasps and hoverflies and drone flies feeding on umbellifers. So you can see lots of seed heads and yeah. still lots of flowers. Yeah. And um, that's just a couple of different species that we mentioned. Yeah, we've got yarrow here. Uh, we've got that's it, the white thing. Yeah, the white thing, which which smells really lovely, quite medicinal. We've got an oxide daisy with a marmalade hoverfly on it. And so I definitely spotted some uh, bumblebees earlier when I was sort yeah. of looking around. At, I think four different species. Oh, very good. So they very really, good. as you said, they like the vetches. Uh, um, some of them were on vetches yeah. as well. Yeah. And I should also mention the grasses as well. So they're often an oversight because obviously the flowers are very pretty and attractive. But the grasses are really important too for food uh, as well as for shelter, obviously. The tufts of grass can be good hibernating spots for queen bumblebees. Oh, yes. And bugs um, and even moths like to 
uh, hide in amongst the grasses. Are these all Scottish wildflowers? They are indeed. They're all Scottish wildflowers, and they're not only that, but they're all local provenance. So, what's a provenance? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, they're all local origin. They've all come from either Fife or surrounding regions, and they, the seed was harvested by a company called Scotia Seeds, based mm-hmm. up in Angus. So we're making sure we're not bringing wildflowers up from somewhere further afield, which is important for not only botanical you know, protection of our plants, botanical species, but also our native wildlife has adapted to our native plants, so they'll be best adapted to using local species. Do you think this is what a Scottish meadow would normally look like? I know I've heard about... 97, 98% of UK meadows mm. disappearing since the Second World War. Mm, that's cr- And I'm not sure whether many of us actually have a good idea of what a meadow looks like. Yeah. Um, is this something that you would have normally seen in the pre-war? From the experiences I have, it does look like a sown meadow. I think in a very natural meadow that's grazed, you would probably get more grasses than you do here. So just looking at this, I would say it's, what, 90 95% wildflowers. Yeah. I guess meadows were primarily an agricultural That's space, right. so That's you right. used them for grazing. That's right, yeah. You'd have very fine grasses throughout. It'd be quite a low sward, so this is very high sward. It's about 60 centimetres tall, maybe, mm-hmm. or more. So I think possibly in a grazed meadow, it would be a much shorter sward. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people comment that it might look a bit scruffy at this time of the year. Well, basically, you do eventually want to mow it down, but you want to mow it when the flowers have set seed, ideally. So you can see the knapweed has pretty much set seed, but some of the other flowers are still blooming. So we want to wait until all of those flowers have set seed, and then we want to cut the grassland, leave the grass sitting for a while for the seed to drop back into the meadow, and then remove the hay. So you would generally do that in Scotland, maybe late August, September time, sometimes even into October time. And then by lifting the grass, it's quite important because it's basically simulating grazing. You're removing the grass so that the nutrients don't go back into the ground. Wildflower is quite like nutrient poor ground. So you have to remove that, that organic material every year to encourage the wildflowers. I guess in this kind of project, we're trying to keep the plants going or biodiversity going that used to be provided for in the agricultural that's um, right. setting before. That's right. And oh, with right. this particular project, we went about mostly creating brand new meadows in our parks and green spaces. So this little meadow is only one of the number of meadows that Five Spuzzing Project set up. And that's why I dragged you out <laughs> out here to talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, why don't you um, tell me more about the project itself and mm-hmm. maybe your role in it and Fife's Council's role in it. So Fife's Buzzing came about in 2014, really, we started developing the project. So it came about through something called the Local Biodiversity Action Plan, where we recognised the drastic decline in wildflower meadows and, of course, the associated impacts on wildlife. So we wanted to address this and we had an action in our plan to create two hectares of flower-rich grassland in the space of five years. Fife Council partnered up with Bug Life, which is an invertebrate charity, And the aim of the project, because we wanted to engage people as much as possible, to raise awareness about the importance of meadows, the importance of associated wildlife and the decline in pollinators. So we wanted something that would have as many benefits as possible to people as well as to wildlife. Mm -hmm. So because Fife Council is quite a big landowner and land manager in Fife, 
we identified parks and green spaces that were quite underused, but in really well-used areas by people, which would benefit from a splash of colour, a bit of interest and variety, where it would bring in wildlife, which would be of interest to park users. So we basically went about identifying locations right across Fife, where we could create meadows with school children, with local community groups. And our aim was to create 12 hectares. So, okay, we're quite so, ambitious. Yeah, so it was a very ambitious project. Yeah, very exciting. I think we talked a little bit about meadows as important spaces for biodiversity. You mentioned pollinators. Why and what are mm. they? <laughs> Good question, yeah. So pollinators are insects or, or invertebrates that would pollinate a flower. So they help set seed basically yes exactly yes yes exactly the classic thing is bees feeding on nectar and pollen and flowers but there's lots Mm -hmm. lots more than people normally from experience when we uh, talk about things like that in the garden uh, absolutely people don't realize how many different absolutely absolutely i mean people talk about bees but it's not just honeybees there's a a lot in the media just now about honeybees they're not actually native to you know they're, they're they're basically like cows they're livestock that's right that's right yes whereas we have hundreds of thousands of native pollinators and they might be anything from very cute little solitary wasps or solitary bees to a huge variety of different flies including hoverflies and drone flies which you might recognize hoverflies of the stripy creatures that hover surprisingly (laughs) sometimes confused with either bees or wasps yeah, that's but right. But they're much tinier right. and they yeah. do not sting. No, <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. And even beetles. So beetles will feed on pollen. Um, soldier beetles. I think exactly, we exactly. We've example. seen, yeah, soldier on beetles. Uh, Ladybirds yeah. as well. Uh, rove beetles, click beetles. The ones when you touch them, they kind of bounce away. So they're good for meadow flowers, but they're also good for our crops. Absolutely. And my favourite bugs at the moment are bumblebees because uh-huh. we do... A bee walk uh, survey ah. every month at the garden. Yeah. But one of the fun facts about them is the strawberries that oh. are grown um, in Fife yeah. and Nungus, they completely rely on for the best fruit yeah. to set are reliant on bumblebees. That's right. But there's lots of other examples like that. Absolutely. Everything from broccoli to, well, in this country, let me think, broccoli, cabbages, onions, I think cauliflower, all the soft fruit industry, which is really important here. And I think across the EU, 85% of EU crops agricultural crops rely on insect pollination so it's vast and in britain it's valued at something like 400 million pounds per annum is this free service we get from our pollinating insects and most of those will be wild um, bees and other pollinators they won't be the honeybees that will be doing this so they're hugely important and it would be catastrophic if we did lose our pollinators for us you know one in every three spoonfuls of food we eat is apparently Great uh, facts. Relying on insect pollination. Yeah, yeah, it that's is. It's actually terrifying when you think yeah. about, you know, how much we're losing in terms of insect biodiversity these days. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. been headlines in the last year about insectageddon. Mm, oh my yeah. god, for insects. That's so, right. Um, yeah. We're losing that biodiversity so quickly. Mm-hmm. That's 80% of our wildflowers also rely on insect pollination. So, so it would also going, have yeah. a really big impact on our native flora as well. So what are the threats to the pollinators or this Mm. particular habitat of pollinators as well? Threats to meadows is really change in land use. So since the 1940s, there's been intensification of agriculture, but also development of infrastructure, housing, industry, which 
has not only led to habitat loss, direct habitat loss, but also to fragmentation of what's left. And fragmentation can also have really serious impacts on our wildlife because you're left with little islands, basically, little islands of habitat, which aren't really sustainable and wildlife finds it difficult to move between them. So those are our big threats to meadows themselves. And as a result, two-thirds of pollinators have undergone drastic declines just as a result of the loss of these meadows and a lot of other associated wildlife as well. You know, you get a meadow supports amphibians like frogs and toads. We've seen swallows hunting over our new meadows. We've had kestrels feeding over them, buzzards that are looking for the small mammals within them, birds feeding on the seeds. So really important for a lot of different kinds of wildlife. And obviously the insects are are you know they're at bottom of the food chain, so they're feeding a lot of other wildlife. Oh, so yes, yeah, yeah. Of course. yeah, protecting insects, you're yeah. protecting a lot, of, a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. And actually, since I'm obsessed with bumblebees, I've been keeping an eye out for bumblebee news, and I've heard that actually recently climate change is sort of aggravating that all the habitat fragmentation, habitat loss. Mm-hmm. In Scotland, we've got seasons coming in at the wrong time of the year, so we've got mm-hmm. spring starting two weeks earlier than the normal for example and in the last few years that woke up lots of hibernating bees prematurely and then they got affected by the harsh weather coming back so it's sort of combining the different things as well Mm, so the more of this habitat we've got I guess that's right because also that when the the queens emerge they really struggle when they emerge earlier than Mm. they ought to be because of the warm weather there there's not enough in the way of nectar for them to that's true that's right so they're flying about looking for flowers which is why gardens can be important you know the flowers and plants we plant for pollinators in our gardens because the queen bees could really rely on those yeah. in the springtime yeah so lots of scary stuff happening i'm really glad that mm. we're doing something about it and uh, here in table mm, yeah so um this was a project all around five mm-hmm. can you tell me why the East Common and mm-hmm. Tateport sites were um, to identify that something to Yeah, that's a very good on. question. Very good question. We had so many potential sites and we wanted to select them very carefully, obviously to be fair, to get as many people right across Fife involved as possible and to get the biggest bang for our buck. So we wanted lots of benefits from these meadows. So we chose locations that were easily accessible for everyone, that had schools nearby, uh, primary and secondary, that had active community groups, And also from a wildlife perspective, we looked at existing habitat, so networks of grassland, and we wanted our new meadows to fit in within that network and help improve the connectivity. So we were trying to reduce fragmentation at the same time. Mm. So those were the factors we were looking at, and Tayport was one of those sites. Can you tell me anything about how... Um, this project's affected biodiversity here in Tayport. So it was absolutely phenomenal in Tayport, and you'll be delighted to know... Ooh, we it, win! <laughs> you win, <laughs> <We> totally! Win. <laughs> so uh, Tayport had the greatest biodiversity of all of our Fife's buzzing sites. So we had 23 locations across yeah. Fife, and Tayport just came out on top. So just to give you a bit of a snapshot, we did some really interesting surveys at the start where we looked at just the cut grass. Mm-hmm. We wanted a baseline at the beginning to see how many invertebrates were using the cut grass. Or bugs and beasties. Exactly. <laughs> and in the first year, in 2014, our survey came up with eight species. Eight species okay, in the cut grass. Not, including not very No, <laughs> including We've a... We've sl- seen more species today, <laughs> just sitting here for five minutes looking yeah. at one flower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember that survey. So one of them was a slug, one of them was a wasp. They don't have the best PR. That was no, they don't have the yeah. best PR. <laughs> 
And then in the second year, uh, in 2015, we, we monitored our newly created meadows. And in the space of that one year, we had 101 different invertebrate species, wow. just invertebrates. And uh, 56 of those were different kinds of pollinators. Oh, wow. So that's in the space of one year in newly created meadows. Absolutely so phenomenal. Immediate effect. That's instant really benefit. Yeah, yeah, really instant benefit. And that's just the invertebrates we were looking at, you know. So the average for all of these sites, the average number of pollinator species per site was 22. Right. Yeah. On the amenity grassland, the average was 1.6. So the lawn, are we sitting the lawns, on the grass exactly. right now? Cut uh, grass. Cut grass. In our surveys, yeah. just 1.6 invertebrate species. Uh. Tapeport, 40 species. Basically, Tapeport had double, almost double as many species in the meadows we created through the Fife's Buzzing Project. Oh, wow. So we created four different areas here in uh, the common. Okay, so we're sitting at the entrance to the caravan park. Mm-hmm. Where else yep. can we see one? Yeah, so the caravan park, we trialed a coastal meadow mix, which has worked really well. We also trialed a different mix over at the wildlife pond on mm-hmm. the edges of that. We trialed one at Shanwell road at the bus turning circle that did well and then we trialed a different kind of meadow creation where we just allowed the grass to grow long so it's really good to do that you know if you look at your existing botanical diversity in the grassland it's it's recommended really to try and encourage what you've got in the seed bank rather than plowing up and sowing and that's certainly what plant life recommend so in one area we trialed that and then we we just added some diversity with some seedlings I believe that on the other side of the caravan park also and near to where the salt marsh restoration project is. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. I think the wildflowers have done okay in there. Um, it looks very different to the sown meadows, the one we're sitting at just now, which is chock-a-block with flowers. Obviously, when you allow the grass to grow long and then manage that with your annual cut and lift, it looks a bit more like just a very natural grassland. Mm, and we've fun. had good feedback. We've, when we've been out here managing the meadows in the autumn time, people have come up to us and, and thanked us and said, you know, this brings us so much pleasure. It's such a joy to see the colours and to walk past it. So we've had some really good feedback. And from children too who are involved, you know, some really poignant moments. There was one little boy who realised that plants were living things. He'd never realised that before. Wow. And it was like a revelation to him. And it was really quite moving to see that, you know. Yeah, because it's hard to see them as living things. They're not moving generally. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it just yeah, struck just him while he was planting wildflower seedlings. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's been largely success, it sounds like. Have there been any problems? Yeah. So I would say we do have challenges. I think one of the challenges is the sustainability of the meadow management. So the meadows have to be managed on an annual basis so that you don't lose that diversity. Mm. Of course, it's a tough time for councils all over Scotland just now and finding the resources and you know having the right machinery to do that can be quite a challenge when there are cutbacks. So also there's expectation, I suppose, managing people's expectation. There are also these lovely pictorial meadows you see now with the non-native wildflowers like your cosmia and your California poppy and phacelia. And these can be great for pollinators, but they're not native Scottish species. And I think it's really important to raise awareness about the difference, that they'll look different. They're not these rainbow colour mixes you see sometimes on roundabouts. And yeah. Uh, and those um, those annual meadows, whether you use native plants or not, they don't provide such a range of habitats necessarily because they die back over winter. That's a very good point. And of course, with the annual meadows, like you say, you're removing that overwintering habitat. Yeah. The shelter you might have, you, you would lose that, ploughing it up each year. Yeah. And it's also, it's expensive to do that. 
So ideally, so you would want perennial. This is more cost-effective yeah. type of meadow anyway. What about weeds? I mean, I know that um, thistles and things like that mm-hmm. could be problematic. What happens with those? Yeah, so we did have plenty of weeding events after Fipes Buzzing finished. So mostly there was creeping thistle, which is really challenging once you get it into your meadow because... Once it's in the seed bank and it sets seed, it will come back year after year, and it's very a very strong competitor. So that's the little meadow that was along the pond that sort of didn't quite work out because that's it right. got invaded by by the creeping thistle. That's right. Which in itself, actually, the plant itself provides amazing habitat for wildlife and mm-hmm. can feed butterflies, bees, goldfinches love mm-hmm. it, love mm-hmm. the seeds. Yeah, but it does tend to produce these horrible thickets, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're absolutely right. It's also a Scottish wildflower. So, you know, it's a native Scottish plant. Um, But that and docks, I think people just recognise those as weeds from their own gardens and they do take over a bit and outcompete our wildflowers. So we don't really want them in our meadows. So you can just pull them out by hand, which we did plenty of, but that's hard work as well. You can also give the meadow a spring cut to try and prevent them setting seed. Yeah, so that is a challenge. And I've heard other community groups mention that as well when they're going about creating their own meadows. They say, oh, that creeping thistle <laughs> getting in there is so difficult to deal with. Yeah. So that, that meadow's now gone, really. We decided to grass that particular one over again. It was a relatively small strip. This is a project that improved our public spaces. What can people do in their own gardens? Ah, yes. Either create a little patch of meadow in your own garden, but also... With your non-native planting, just choose pollinator-friendly planting. There's a nice logo that Royal Horticultural Society produced, RHS Plants for Pollinators, I think Mm -hmm. it's called. has a bumblebee on it. Uh, You can also come and uh, see our plantings in the community garden because we've got a perennial border that sort of showcases a lot of these Mm. pollinator-friendly ornamental plants. Mm. That's always with our bumblebee walk. We uh, find lots and lots of different bugs and beasties on that, definitely. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I think my favourite tip is just to let your patch of your lawn grow for mm-hmm. a bit longer than you would normally do and allow mm-hmm. clover, for example, and daisies mm-hmm, to do. flower so that will feed some pollinators. Yeah, that's right. And I have that in my front garden. I have a little patch of long grass. And what surprised me was in the evenings that the number of moths in there and oh. the bats started feeding over it oh my god yeah yeah That's so it's just honestly ecosystem yeah just two, like two meters square it's tiny you know but the bats feed over it if people want to find out more about the five buzzing and other biodiversity projects where can mm. they find out yeah more information so for the five buzzing project there is actually a web page on bug life's website mm-hmm. it also tells you how it links up with get britain buzzing and they've got brilliant resources you know other facts and information about invertebrates and things you can do as well in your garden right well thank you very much for coming out all this way to have a chat it was a pleasure thank you for inviting me along no thank you for listening to the plant voices podcast For more Tapeport Community Garden stories and for information on how to get involved, visit our website on www.tapeportgarden.org.